seven minutes past the, the top of the hour as we roll into the second hour of our program here on the Big Talker FM, latter part of the work week. Small, independently owned local business here in the Cape Fear region located atop the Mercantin building. As we overlook the battleship North Carolina, about as far east you can get here in the old North State, connecting with a man who is about as far west as we can go here in North Carolina. Our friend Pete Callender joins us here this morning once again, connecting uh, the mountains to the coast. And Pete, it's a pleasure, my friend. I hope uh, all is doing well in the mountains this morning. It is. I cannot complain. It's a little bit foggy and rainy, but that's okay. I thought you were going to say that this is the far left of the state, it being Asheville at (laughs) all. I would say that, but uh, we reside in a county uh, that is, uh, well, fairly blue, uh, I will say. If you look on the political map, I remember looking in November of uh, this past year, and even friends from all over the country are sending me uh, snapshots of North Carolina. Eastern North Carolina, all red. And then you've got this little peninsula tucked along the Cape Fear River where there's just a bright blue dot. And that's where I'm at here this morning for you, Pete. So just to give you a little... Insight, that, but that really is the—that's uh, the story across the state. You've got whether it's—I remember tracking this I've for years. Worked in Charlotte, and uh, the city of Charlotte, and then Mecklenburg County was going—you know—more and more blue. And meanwhile, you saw the exodus occur, where all the Republicans fled to the outer ring uh, suburban counties around Charlotte, and that's the way it looks now. Same thing in Asheville—that's been occurring. You've got a blue dot in a sea of red, and uh, it, it's funny how it manifests itself because you'll have people in. Asheville Nashville that uh, believe that it, that we can draw the district, uh, the congressional district, in a way to ensure that Asheville gets to dictate that a Democrat win the congressional seat. And it's like, guys, there are not enough blue votes. I mean, Asheville's 90,000 people. That's There's not enough blue votes to go against 750,000 people all throughout Western North Carolina. It's just not, there's just not enough Democrats here, uh, or I should say progressives. There are a lot of Democrats, but they vote they vote for Republican presidential candidates and congressional uh, candidates. So they're, they're, they're sort of the old line um, uh, blue dog Democrats, the conservative Democrats that are, you know, a dying breed in that party now. And we live in a very interesting state and a very dynamic one. Obviously, it garners a lot of attention when we get into the conversation surrounding national politics. So it's mm-hmm. always fun to kind of see you know, how uh, the, the, the voters are, you know, how it all makes up and shakes out. I mean, Democrat governor, Republican senators, Republican congressional majority. Our cities are basically run by, in some cases, uh, you know, Looney Tunes to the far left <laughs> in places like Asheville. And you can even make the argument up in Raleigh and elsewhere yeah. across uh, know our state it's a fun state to live in no doubt if you're engaged in the uh, political fodder of the day and before we get to some of the things going out in your neck of the woods let's give you an update as far as what we're seeing here locally well we've got property tax increases on the horizon in the blue uh, county of new hanover city council we're going to raise property taxes a city property owner is going to get a double whammy uh, coming january of next year uh, they're going to do it uh, because we need to increase education funding here in New Hanover County. You know, we are going to have the highest local stipend and supplement for nice. the teachers of any district in the state. And uh, you know, our 
the Democrat uh, commission chair is very proud of that. She even said, I can't believe people are complaining. And it's disturbing to me that I am trying to take care of everyone. And you're <laughs> going to complain that your taxes are going to go up because your property values are going up because she wholeheartedly you know, wants to take care of everyone. So would that be how disturbed is she about this? Is this like on a scale of like like on a scale of zero to American flags on pickup truck disturbing? Like how disturbing is it? <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, she's to the point where she says, I'm making no uh, you know, bones about it. Uh, this is what I believe in, and we're going to move full, uh, f- uh, full force forward. And, in fact, they, they were able to twist the arm of one Republican board member. Uh, even one Democrat voted against this increase. And uh, we got into the local thing earlier yeah. today. Well, it's, you're it's, not alone. Kind of yes, the city of Asheville, exact same thing. And Buncombe County, the exact same thing. Um, and in fact, one of our city council members said, well, just because the county is looking to jack up the property tax rate doesn't mean we should be prohibited from looking at doing the same. So, yeah, a double whammy, uh, which really, if you're trying to recover from a pandemic and you're seeing the kind of inflation and the the cost of goods uh, that we're seeing, uh, really, I, I think the answer, I mean, economically speaking, is to pile on more taxes. I think that's obvious, uh, you know, to to, to most, well, leftists. And uh, with that said, uh, somehow, some way, up in Raleigh, I mean, I don't know, uh, they must have had an epiphany last night uh, that eight Democrats joined Republicans in the state Senate to vote for tax uh, pr- proposals that would reduce the state income tax, <laughs> that would uh, filter out the corporate tax rate. Where do these eight Democrats come from, and what do you make of that? Um I don't know if they've all, if they've all of a sudden uh, gotten the uh, the the low tax limited government, you know, capitalist conservative uh, uh, ideology. I'm not sure that they've all they've just you know signed on to this. I think it's good. sometimes the right policy is the right politics. I think um, we'll see if they wobble with a, a veto that might come from it. Um, but I mean, honestly, like th- this has been a debate that's been going on now since the Republicans took over in the uh, the General Assembly in 2011, and they started implementing tax reform, and they were fought at every step of the way by the Democrats and the media, but I repeat myself, and uh, they, uh, they said, look, we're going to move towards this goal of uh, very low personal income tax, and, you know, Bob Rucho from Mecklenburg, who was the original architect of all of this, he wanted to get to a zero uh, corporate income tax rate, and now that's back uh, uh, as one of the goals. Uh, for the the current uh, legislative uh, majority. And so uh, this has been the goal, but they knew they couldn't do it all at once. And so they started ratcheting it down, right? They would set in place goals, target goals, we'll knock a quarter off the rate, a quarter off the rate, and we'll just keep going and make sure that we're not going to bleed the treasury when we do it. Because, you know, this is a test. I think we're, we're all privy right now to watch like the real impact of this philosophy and how it works. And so far... Over the last decade, what it has yielded is economic growth and surpluses into the into the Treasury. And the people who said that this was going to bankrupt the state, folks at the, like the North Carolina Budget and Tax Center, the uh, the folks from, you know, NC Policy Watch and all of them that were saying you're going to destroy North Carolina's economy by all of this. They have been proven to have been wrong. Now, I would submit you don't get to now be cited as experts when you make these predictions any longer once you get it that wrong as they have. But this has been sort of the... Uh, uh, you know, the the model, I think, that other states can look at and to say, 
this does work. This this raft of reforms does work. And look, I you know I've been covering state politics now for like two decades. I'm old enough to remember when Democrats in the General Assembly had the majority and they talked about modernizing the tax code, but they just could never do it. And I think there were a number of reasons for that. I think there's an economic philosophy that sort of see a penny, spend a penny. They see all revenue as, you know, uh, as a a pot of money for them to tap to, quote, invest in things. Um, And then they will use one-time money for recurring operation expenses. And that's just a terrible idea. But that's, this is the way they governed. And so they were, caught in this this trap of having to constantly raise taxes and keep them high uh, in order to pay for all the promises that they made. Um, but they recognized, you know, 15 years ago that they needed to modernize the tax code. It, it just took the Republicans winning a majority to actually get that done. And as you said, uh, you know, if and when this legislation ends up on Governor Cooper's desk, uh, you know, likely veto stamped to come along with that. Uh, and a reminder to the folks out there, Governor Cooper has issued a veto uh, more times uh, than every other North Carolina yeah. governor in the state's history combined, right. combined uh, over the last yeah. uh, couple of years. Talk about, you know, trying to you know, be a thorn in the side of the Republican led legislature. And he, along with his staff, of course, joined in on all of these other think tanks and economic foundations that predicted, you know, dire straits for the state if, in fact, we continue to move forward with, uh, you know, tax breaks and cuts. Yeah. Uh, for North Carolina working families and businesses. Yeah, well, remember, he was the, he was leadership of the North Carolina State Senate. You know, before he was governor, he was the attorney general for 16 years. And before that, he was Senate leadership. He's part of the machine, the Democratic machine uh, that ran this state for over a century. He was, you know, he's the latest standard bearer for it. And so uh, yeah, th- this this philosophy that the Democratic Party has had when it comes to uh, financing the state's uh, budget, they like he is part of that old guard. Uh, Now, he's not running for anything else, as far as anybody knows, uh, after this term is over. He's term limited, so he's done uh, in 2024. Um, And from what I've heard is that he's not looking to run for another seat and his wife doesn't want to go to Washington, D.C. or anything like that. So uh, this might be sort of the end of his, quote, public service. uh, And he just becomes sort of the Democratic kingmaker, uh, you know, uh, the the, I don't want to say king, (laughs) but because of all the connotations that Roy Cooper has earned over the last year. But uh, he he becomes sort of the the father figure of the party. You got to kiss the ring, go to him for advice and all of that stuff. I've heard that might be what he's angling to be in sort of his retirement. Um, So that would tell me, though, that he doesn't have any kind of um, there's no there's no barrier there. There's no disincentive for him to veto the tax cuts, um, although it does jam up a lot of Democratic lawmakers who are going to be running for reelection. Right. You don't want to be the guy that raised taxes. And that's the way it'll be framed against these Democratic lawmakers. I think a lot of them are worried about that. So right now, if uh, you know the vote were to hold eventually, if this ultimately moved through, uh, vetoed, uh, and then it uh, goes back to the uh, General Assembly, uh, right now, based on the vote yesterday, they would have enough, at least in the state Senate, to overturn that and move forward uh, with this continued effort to mm-hmm. you know, lower the tax burden for individuals and, and, and businesses. Assuming they don't the get government- wobbly. But you're assuming they don't get wobbly. Oh, and yeah. some of those Democrats have wobbled when oh. Cooper calls them and says, hey, don't override my veto, they fall in line. Well, we remember, of course, uh, what uh, the state senator from up in Greenville, uh, when he uh, joined Republicans on the Born Alive bill, right. uh, they started a campaign. <laughs> they, they they developed a website overnight within 24 hours, 
you know, to get the guy ousted from office. And then there was that, you know, of course, rumor that the governor would introduce, uh, you know, Democrat uh, primary opponents to, uh, you know, those elected officials if, in fact, uh, you bucked the trend of uh, the Democrat Party. Because that's what Democrats do, right? If you're not all on board, they'll throw you right off the bus and have no problem doing it. <laughs> well, and to be fair, I think the Republican, there are people inside the Republican Party that do that as well. They try to go out and find out. candidates, recruit candidates to try to primary people that they're not fond of as well. That's just party uh, machinations and all. It's just, uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, that that was um, that was one example of it. But Roy Cooper has been uh, that kind of politician for decades. Uh, it, this is that's how he that's how he operates, and uh, he did it with HB two, the bathroom bill. He leaned on Democrats not to work on any kind of a legislative fix with Republicans before the election because he needed the issue. And uh, then as soon as he won, then oh look at that, we got a fix, right? But they were Ooh. they were ready to do that under McQuarrie, but Cooper wanted it to be an issue for him in the uh, real or in his election fight. Pete Callender with us, uh, host of uh, the Pete Callender podcast. You can find his website, uh, thepetecallendershow.com. We're connecting the mountains to the coast, as we do a couple times a month here on the Big Talker FM. Pete, let's go out to Asheville, because I got the news releases you did from uh, the Asheville Police Department. What was it earlier this week? Uh, announcing that they've lost, what, 86 officers since uh, the beginning of last year? And as a result of that, the police are no longer going to respond to certain calls. And uh, I guess you're SOL, right, uh, if uh, you're the victim of a crime out in the city of Asheville these days. Go uh, to the website and uh, fill out a police report for us, and we'll yeah. get back to you. Well, and, and there are people, and I was actually talking to um, somebody in the court system uh, the other day about this, and they said, look, they, APD has been doing this already for like the last year. Um, during the pandemic, they started doing this stuff, not responding in person to calls because of people's fear about catching COVID, right? So they weren't doing a lot of this stuff for the last year. Now, uh, as everything's reopening, they just don't have the staff because for some reason, I, I, they haven't really been able to determine uh, at the city council level why so many cops are not interested in doing the job. It's it's a mystery over the last year. Like we're now like uh, it's like a, every month they're averaging between around around six to seven or so uh, exits, resignations per month. That's where we are. And it's not a big force. It's like 200 uh, 50 or so roughly and uh, half of the, they're down like 50% for their detectives so they just don't have people to do the job and so they're like okay well we're, we're not going to you know come to your house uh, if there's a burglary and there's no suspect information right it's just if it's less than a thousand dollars then we're not going to respond uh, just fill out a police report if there is no suspect description on stuff then they're not going to show up and the problem with this is that, yes, I understand. Look, I've been victimized uh, as a you know uh, homeowner. We were burglarized. So I, I get it. They're not probably going to catch the people. However, when you don't show up to collect evidence of any kind and you don't do any kind of investigation, the chances when uh, of the cops catching the perpetrators goes from very small to zero. And so that is effectively surrender. That's what that is. And if you don't think people now are going to be aware that if they can just make sure there's no suspect description, they can steal up to a thousand dollars worth of merchandise. Um, like to me, the course is pretty clear for the shoplifting rings to start operating. Oh, they already are operating in Nashville. So it, it, to step up their game, it's going to look a lot like like what do we see in San Francisco where they're just not prosecuting? Like, is that the next step where we stop prosecuting this stuff because cops can't show up to testify in court? Is that the next step? I mean, these the, the effort to undermine policing over the last year has a real impact 
on society. And this is the impact. And there are people, by the way, who called into the city council meeting last week and they were saying uh, the fact that we haven't seen a spike in violent crime, which is not actually true. We have seen it tick up. We're like uh, top 10 uh, we're in the top 10% of most dangerous cities now in America. Yay us. But um, they were like, well, the fact that we haven't seen this massive spike with the reduction in policing means we should just keep going. Like have more, have fewer cops, more reductions, because it means that we can do, uh, we can we can suffer more uh, without it getting too bad. So keep firing more or keep letting more cops quit, I should say. Hmm. Sounds like a, a bright idea. Yeah, it sounds so, rational. I guess you're, you're, you're the, yeah, you're the, you're the test uh, subject out there. So we'll see how that all works out for you yeah. out there in Asheville over the next <laughs> couple of weeks. I can't believe you actually sent out a news release. Hey, you're a victim of a crime. Go to this website. Click here and fill out a report for us and leave us a message. We, yeah. we may or may not. The funny, so you're telling me that. You're telling me that uh, article or the ad that President Trump put out uh, you know, last year <laughs> with the message that calling the cop. You're telling me that may come to fruition at some point here in America. Uh, indeed, has. they're also saying that like uh, response times for non-emergency calls are going to get very, 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 very long. And it's funny because like you, you see some of these internal Facebook groups, and I'm on one for like our apartment complex that we live in. Uh, there, they have like an unofficial Facebook group, and they've got a, an off-duty cop who lives on the premises, and he, you know, if you got a loud neighbor you call this guy up and he'll come and knock on their door and that sort of thing but the demands that they were making of him to file police reports and do all this stuff on his in his off hours right his downtime and these are the same types of people that are like screaming about defunding the racist police slave patrol you know uh police forces and then they're like well why won't you come and take my report for a stolen bicycle like how dare you and they're like ripping the cop well he he left the he left the uh, the complex he moved oh. out <laughs> Yeah, we'll be leaving the force and not uh, so long either. Yeah. <laughs> hey, let me ask you, as I let you go, uh, coming back here to the coast, we had a six-and-a-half-hour school board meeting the other Yikes. night uh, here in New York County. Yeah, and uh, you know, it reached a boiling point where you know, it was not even on the agenda, uh, let alone now uh, middle school transgender kids can play the sport and, and uh, of their choice. I'm not sure. They moved forward with something like that. It was really confusing to me, as all this conversation is most of the time. Uh, but also this idea of critical race theory was discussed. And you had people from both sides out there, you know, making their passions heard. And uh, I think what we're seeing here is uh, – and this is not going on just in this local district. We had that story uh, that I pointed our uh, listeners' attention to at WBT. Brett Jensen had yep. a great look at uh, you know, what's going on in the Charlotte-Mecklenburg schools, and that teachers are confused. You're not experts on race relations. They're math teachers, and now we're putting them in a classroom to teach them about social justice. How's that all going to work? And uh, the parents have no idea what the hell's going on. What I'm starting to see, though, is a trend across the country, so maybe a culmination of what's been playing out over the past year – that it's not, in fact, about educating our kids. It's not about what's best for our children. Hell, it's not even about our teachers in many instances. It's about pursuing an agenda. Mm-hmm. And this agenda ultimately leaves us to a place that it's not going to look real good for anyone. I think you know, we've seen this before. Right. So the, the key here is iconoclasm. That's always the key. Whenever, whenever, and, and, so, which is the tearing down of the institutions. And, um, Anyone who's this is a new approach that pro critical race theory people are using, which is to force conservatives to define what critical race theory is. And they hope that this is a trap, by the way, that's all this is, is a trap is to try to get you to say something that is not precisely correct or uh, or, or is too imprecise in a definition. And then they attack you for not knowing what it is rather than attacking what it actually is, which and the manifestation of the long lineage, which comes from Neo 
Marxism, through critical legal studies, and now into its current form, this you know anti-racism, neo-Marxism infused critical race theory. And what they're trying to do is say, look, it's just you know there's systemic racism and there's been racism and people have been racist in America, and that's all we're saying. And why don't you want to teach history? And when you say it like that. That's a deflection. That's a deception, because it's not simply what's being done. They're trying to teach people to distill all things down to uh, race, uh, the down to race sort of, as a racial essentialism philosophy. And that is a pathway to uh, to danger. I really do. I mean, I really believe like there is nothing good that comes from distilling people down to an immutable characteristic that they can't change. And with that, uh, you know, and just uh, thinking, because uh, uh, we do that from time to time here on the coast uh, while we're enjoying our cold beverage, sitting on the sand uh, with uh, the ocean uh, and the waves breaking in front of us, we think from time to time. And my novel thought of the day is uh, in regards to an argument against uh, all this uh, garbage is the fact that in just over 200 years, Pete, uh, you know, which is like a micro dot in the grand scheme of things, when you talk about the history of the world, uh, the many of nations that are, what, 30, 40, 50 times older than the United States of America, in just over 200 years, you know, we've been able to create a country that has the most tolerant and diverse group of people living day to day with opportunities everywhere for those who seek them than any other place in any other country in the history of the world. We've done that in 200 years. You know, is there things that we can fix and work Always. on? Well, obviously. Yeah. Right. Nobody's perfect. But that is a, a magnificent feat that this country has reached in just over 200 years when we talk about thousands and thousands of years of history uh, that we can go by. Well, and it goes to, do you remember the former Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest when he made that speech and he talked about multiculturalism and diversity and he got, you know, he got savaged for it? Um <laughs> But what he was talking about there, and I would argue he was misrepresented in what he was talking about, because I understood what his point was, which was that when you have a multicultural society like ours, there has to be something that unifies us, because it's not going to be about race. It's not going to be about religion, because we don't all share the same race, religion, whatever, right? We have come from all these different backgrounds, and we are better for it, by the way. As a society, we are better for that. The problem is, is that people use that as a wedge to drive apart different uh, groups of people based on these immutable characteristics. And so if you don't have a unifying concept, which I would submit is the idea of America, that if you work hard, play by the rules, you can have a successful life. You can take care of yourself and your family, right? You can have the freedom to do these things and become an entrepreneur, open your own business or not. It's totally up to you. You've got more freedom to uh, to be successful here than anywhere else in human history. If that is not a unifying concept, then then what are we left with? Then what is the purpose here? What What is the point of this entire experiment? It's just uh, very confusing times, I guess. Uh, the, the the ability for people to, to conflate an issue and stir the pot to a point where you know we're at odds over uh, one another. Uh, for in many cases, many of these people that are out there couldn't even explain to you, you know, mm-hmm. what they're out there for. They just want to hoot and holler because I think they, I think they were picked last in kickball class uh, back in well, elementary school. I think you know they- a group of those people have taken over. Well, to that point, I think there is there is a there's a personality construct that's been identified pretty recently. It's called the uh, tendency for interpersonal victimization and uh, this TIV construct. And it the, the people who have it and you develop it over time, it's not necessarily like you're the victim of a crime or something, but that you, you can see that in people who have been victimized that way. 
but it's it's a tendency to see all interactions where you're the victim. And once you get into this mindset, you cannot escape from it easily. And it starts affecting negatively all aspects of your life. And I see so many people, for folks who are interested, go look up TIV. You can see the research. It's very approachable. And you can you'll start to see this in a great many people, a lot of people on the right too. It's not just people on the left, but a lot of people on the left. And it does have implications for the society at large. And that has to be addressed that we are, you know, when you make people think that they are constantly victimized, they believe you and then they cannot break free of that mindset and it negatively impacts their lives. Pete Callender, host of the Pete Callender Daily Podcast, uh, covering local, state, national issues uh, here in North Carolina, out in the city of Asheville. You can find out more at thepetecallendershow.com. Pete, it's always a pleasure, my friend. Uh, thanks again for your time. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. Have a great weekend. That's thepetecallendershow.com, connecting the mountains to the coast and talking everything in between surrounding the old North State uh, twice a month uh, with us here on the Big Talker FM. Great to have Pete as a contributor to our program out in the mountains. We'll be back.